Oh, hello, you. Graham Norton here. Thank you so much for listening to my Virgin Radio podcast with Waitrose. This week on the show, the lovely and legendary Joan Armatrading pops into the studio to talk about a wonderful new book, The Weakness in Me, a collection of lyrics from some of her favourite songs, as well as a new live album, Live at Asylum Chapel. Actress Juliette Stevenson is in to chat about starring in a play in the West End. It's called The Doctor. It's getting five stars reviews, everybody. And Kevin Clifton and Maisie Smith are on tour with the new musical Baz Luhrmann's Strictly Ballroom. Show chef Martha cooks up two perfect bonfire night dishes and we'll be putting our heads together to solve your dilemmas in Graham's Guide. Here's Maria to tell us more. Maria is here. <laughs> How are you? <laughs> it's a bit miserable, isn't it, Graham? It is. I feel my firework display may not be uh, viewed at its full potential this evening. Uh, yeah. Wait a minute. You're actually giving a firework No, display. I'm not as if. Oh, you're, you're going to <laughs> Not even. I'm not even going to look out the window. <laughs> <laughs> so you were making a joke about the I, I, I just It's not going to be great for the fireworks. That's all I was saying. How's the back? Oh, the back is still... Do you know, Graham, as you're older, it takes a little bit longer. So I'm still trussed up like a kipper in my corset. But it's better than it was. So that is a good thing. OK, so on the mend, let's say. Let's say that on the mend. And yes. settling into new house, is all going well? Yes, although, Graham, I was scammed this week. Oh, no. my goodness. I like they pray, to they pray on the elderly. <laughs> Shut up. I like to think I'm quite savvy. But um, I went to, you know, being a good citizen, I tried to change my TV licence address. Um, and I, so I went on the TV licensing site, so far, so unscammy. But then there's a company called Move My, which has snuck in there and charges a £16.50 administration charge, Graham. What the? What for? I- I, for changing my address. And because, you know, you're always doing, one is always doing a million jobs at once, change TV licence, on the TV licence. BBC, please sweep your site for these places, these people that are taking, I should have just thought, how? £16.50 to move it. Anyway, I was scammed. Um, but it sounds yeah. quite official. I mean, it sounds like you weren't being doddery crazy person. Like, that sounds like you just kind of think, mm, that's weird, it costs £16 to change my address. Yes, if I'd have gone to a TV licensing site that said, you know, Acme TV licensing changing <laughs> your address site, <laughs> like Roadrunner, um, I would have understood. But it was the BBC TV licensing site, and then somehow this company has snuck in, and I didn't realise it was, you know, it had changed to move mine. I just thought, oh, okay, uh, change the address, uh, sixteen pound fifty admin fee, blah blah blah. So that's that one, and of course, then I look it up online, and it's scam, 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 oh, scam. Geez. Year. People I, I, beware. I had a very humbling experience via the BBC this week. Um, I, say it again? I had a very humbling experience with the BBC this oh. week. Uh, so, oh, go on, tell me. Well, the tell BBC, me, me. the BBC is a hundred. Okay, they, I, I, they may have mentioned it. I'm not sure. Yes. And uh, so, as part of that, they're doing a thing called BBC Share Your Stories, and a hundred. I'm using sort of little air quotation marks stars from the BBC uh, are doing <laughs> are doing school visits. Right. So I was doing a, a school visit. I went to a school in the East End of London, not far from my house. And uh, you had to do it. <laughs> That's se- always the proviso, isn't it? Yeah. For you? Not far from your house. And yes. the, I had to do a three assemblies. So there was like uh, 15 year olds, 14 year olds and 13 year olds. These three different assemblies. Now, when I say 
not one of those children knew who I was. <laughs> I am not exaggerating. I mean, I honestly, love that. if the driver of my cab had walked in, they would have been probably more interested because they'd seen him driving a cab. They, they knew what he did. <laughs> you should have just said that you were in a K-pop band, but you'd had a very hard life. <laughs> yes. They use a lot of filters in Korea. <laughs> Um, as though these poor children were so bored uh, while some old man croaked on about his his made-up show on the BBC. What did you... Were you meant to be there as an inspirational figure for them to all aspire to? I think so. I don't know. <laughs> I did my duty. Did, did you at least get a couple of laughs out of the little... No, they were, they were a very tough crowd. Well, it's very hard to laugh when you're puzzled. <laughs> It's very, it's very hard to find anything funny when you're just really scratching your head. I did get some lovely, I got some lovely little potato hash browns and sausages in the school canteen, though. So, you know, it wasn't, yeah, it wasn't a total waste. It was all good. Sounds delicious. I love them thinking, who is this old man? I don't know, but he's quite funny. Maybe he'll wet himself soon and then we can all have a good laugh. (laughs) That, That would have been the highlight of all of our days. Um, it's you, not long to come. <laughs> you gather some letters. Virgin Radio. Radio Sky. <laughs> oh, good. Um, I'm going to read the first one. Please, oh, please do, please do. Yes, yes, I am listening, yes. Good. Dear Graham and Maria, Sorry? I'm sick. <laughs> you are very bad today. No, no, I'm, I'm listening, I'm listening. Again. I'm listening, I'm listening. Start, really start again. Start, no, no, do it properly this time, do it properly, yeah. Dear Graham and Maria, I'm 60 and have been friends with Laura since we lived on the same road when we were 12. We've both been married for 30 years and have our own children. The friendship is great, apart from her husband. After all these years, he's more often than not still offish, impolite and generally unfriendly towards me. He hasn't got his own friends, so his social life revolves around his wife's friends. I have to bite my tongue because I realise she will be defensive of her husband and I know that if I start saying stuff, I won't know when to stop. I don't want to lose her as a friend, so I tolerate him coming to my house, eating my food and prodding it around, only to leave without a thank you or a good night. My husband realises how it is, but it doesn't seem to bother him as much. Please point me in the right direction for my own sanity. I need to say something, but I don't want to rock the boat so much that it goes down without being able to rescue it. See what she did there? Mm -hmm. That is from Debbie in Bath. Debbie in Bath. I just want to point out, you've had 30 years of this. (laughs) 30 years. Why now? I mean, it doesn't bother your husband. And the boat rocking moment is long since gone, frankly. We all have friends where we like our friend. You've known Laura for 30, for however many years. No, whatever, you do the maths. Um, And it's her you like. We don't have to like our our friends' partners, but we tolerate them. And this is the situation that you're in. You will have to tolerate him. You can't say anything. You'll lose her as a friend, Laura. She's got to defend her husband. I think the only way you can do this is to take his behaviour and kind of spin it, Debbie, in Bath. You, You know, make a joke of it and say something like, you know, was the food to your liking, Jeff? 
I'm calling him Jeff, or was the food to your liking King Jeff? You know, you, you kind of, you point up his behavior, but not in a way that he can take offense, but he gets the gist that he's not really giving, bringing much to the party. I mean, it seems to be the only way, or you can just carry on as you are, and when they leave, you rush upstairs and you scream into a pillow for 20 minutes. <laughs> What do you think, Graham? I mean, really, that is her only option, is the screaming into the pillow. And the other thing, I suppose, Debbie, is you just keep your interaction with this man to a minimum. So if you want to see your friend organise, you know, uh, we're going on a shopping trip or we're go- I'm going to take you out for lunch or we're meeting some other friends that we grew up with, you know, that kind of thing... Try and cut him out of your social loop as much as possible. But I think if you start trying to make little sarky comments and things, then you will rile your friend. As as Debbie says, you know, the friend will feel obliged to defend this man. I mean, real, I think essentially you're going to have to wait for his funeral and then do a lot of standing around going, well, I never liked him. Uh <laughs> You're so good at this problem-solving, Greg. Wait for someone's funeral. I mean, I, when I say do sarky comments, I don't mean sarky comments. I do. I mean jokey comments. I think you're clever enough, Debbie, in Bath to differentiate and to be able to say things that do pinpoint his behaviour, but in a way that you must tell your husband. He must laugh at. Um, and people will laugh and find it amusing that Jeff is a bit of a git. Um, and that you... Yes, of course, go out and do shopping trips with your friend, Laura. But he has no social life, the friend, because he's such a misery, clearly. So he tags along with her when you have dinner. You have to just put up with that. I can't believe it's been 30 years and now you're going, I can't. We all get less tolerant as we get older, but this is ridiculous. It is It is interesting is how, how something can just, you, you put up with it, put up with it, put up with it, and then one day... It's unbearable. I can't anymore. And I do recognise this. It is a a thing that happens to us all, I think, particularly as we get older. You kind of think, you're 60, I don't need this rude man in my house eating my food or pretending to eat my food. I mean, just prodding it about. But what do you do when you have people over where you don't really like their partners? Well, you just do, don't you? You just do. But also, you know, uh, I so rarely have anyone over. So, uh, <laughs> I mean, I don't, I don't, <laughs> but, but I don't have people. I don't have people. I don't have people I like over. <laughs> Never mind people I don't like. <laughs> I feel honoured that I've been allowed into your house in the past year. Then, <laughs> yes, yeah, no, you should. It's a very exclusive, very exclusive invitation. Uh, if anyone's got advice for poor Debbie Bath, because I'm sure there are so many couples listening to this, uh, maybe not saying anything to each other. <laughs> Right now, but there's just a little bit, a little bit of side eye going on. Yeah, all yeah. my friends hate do you. you. Think, do you think Laura's husband is going? I think that might be about me. That <laughs> yeah. letter. Well, that's so funny because you know your friend Debbie. I always prod her food around. Do you think she's talking about me? I hate I never her cooking. Liked Debbie. Yeah. I hate Debbie and I hate her cooking. Why do you make me go round there? Debbie's going to outlive him. That's that's her revenge. <laughs> <laughs> Debbie might lose it, lose it completely and kill it. <laughs> no, Debbie's going to wear bright florals at his funeral. <laughs> and she's going to cater the afters. <laughs> he always hated this food. <laughs> now, my favourite responders today will be getting <gasps> a bottle, a bottle of Brancot Estate Sauvignon Blanc courtesy of a Witrose. It's an award-winning Sauvignon Blanc. It's a more powerful wine on the palate with a Firework of delightful citrus and floral flavours. Do you see what we've done there? We've used the word firework. 
talking about wine. Uh, it's ripe tropical fruit, lush pink grapefruit. Pairs perfectly with seafood dishes like pad thai, fish tacos, or, here's one, salmon linguine. Yeah. Thank you very much. Yeah, that's Brancott Estates on your blog. All right, it's a tricky one because, you know, you've let it go for this long. <laughs> you know, 30 years. There's letting it slide and then there's... 30 years. Uh, Vanessa Poole says, next time uh, Laura and uh, Jeff, because we were calling the uh, oafish husband uh, Jeff, are over for dinner, have the games that people play on loop in the background. If you don't want to say anything, be passive-aggressive. Oh, passive-aggressive. So marvellous. Turning this around, maybe Debbie just isn't a great cook or company. Jeff, running with Graham's made-up name for the partner, might be the only one being honest with her, Michael in Whitechapel. Oh, no. I think, here's the thing. If someone cooks for you, just be pleased. You know, it doesn't need to be good. You can always get some chips on the way home. You know, there's always something open. So, uh, yeah, just be pleasant and polite when you're in somebody's house and they cook for you. Has Debbie and Bath spoken to Laura about how she feels? Maybe just by asking the question, why doesn't your husband like me? Would open a conversation that would allow views to be aired. Oh, can you imagine doing that? <laughs> it's very hard to put that genie back in the box. <laughs> why does your husband hate me? What? Uh, maybe the husband likes Debbie too much and Laura has warned him off giving too many compliments. Oh, man, do you have it? That's a lovely, that's a lovely reason. <laughs> yes. He's mad about you, Debbie. He, he's just trying to kind of, yeah, button his lip. He, he knows if he says too much, he'll get in trouble. Uh, Karen is in Hereford. Why doesn't Debbie doctor his food? Wait, wait, I'm not sure this is good advice. Why doesn't Debbie doctor his food in some way next time he's round? Make it really hot or spicy. See if he has any reaction. If he does, it will be interesting to know what it is. If he doesn't, then there's really nothing more can be done. Debbie will just have to have her own counselling to help her cope with her friend's marriage. I mean, it's so it's so tricky. I'm sorry, Debbie. None of this advice is particularly useful. I, I tell you what, though, I'm going to give I'm going to give the bottle of the Brancott Estate Sauvignon Blanc, uh, courtesy of Waitrose, to Mandy and Haven't for your lovely your lovely reasoning where you've come up with that. In fact, he he loves Debbie. <laughs> And that's that's why he's being a little bit off with her. Yeah, that could be. That could be. Graham's guide. Shall we do the second problem? Men are getting quite a bad rap today. That's all I will say okay, about the okay. second problem. Okay. Before I read it. Before I read it. You'll find out soon enough. Mm. Dear Graham and Maria, one of my oldest and closest friends, who I love like a sister, married a man we, brackets, me, my husband, and other shared friends, close brackets, have long been suspicious of. Just before they got married, she discovered that he had lied to her about what he does for a living and told a couple of huge lies about money. God knows why she went ahead with the wedding. Fast forward 10 years, and after years of suspicion, we now have proof that her husband is a fraud. We know he actively runs a fake company investing in fake stuff. I will leave the detail out, as I'm genuinely a bit afraid. They spend money like water, and I can't bear the fact that this money is bad money. 
What should I do? I feel I have to speak to her about it, of course, and I should probably speak to some sort of authority, but I think my best friend already knows what he's doing and will probably disown me if I tell her how horrified we are, which she's prone to doing with some of her other friends. He has to be stopped. Please help. And that is from Ellie in Plymouth. I mean, Ellie in Plymouth, I really understand where you're coming from here, but the overriding sense that I have to tell you to wind your neck in <laughs> is um, stopping me from going further with this. I, I just think, how did you get this proof, this incontrovertible proof that, you know, to show that he's doing something a little untoward? I mean, we have to be very careful here. We don't want to slander people. And you have to be very careful as you're genuinely a bit afraid, Ellie in Plymouth. So I would just say, step away from this scenario because it's not your job. You know that what will happen, your best friend will disown you. Um, and I'm almost certain, I would probably put money on it, Graham, that your friend knows exactly what's going on. You say bad money, Ellie and Plymouth. I mean, bad money, good money. Don't go round there and, and eat from his plate, prod it around like the other <laughs> letter. Uh, you know, don't go round there and, and benefit from any of this bad money. I, I sort of want to know if there's some element of your letter which has jealousy in it because they spend money like water, although you think it's bad money. But money is very corrupting. You know, if if you go and speak to her, she will say, I know, but I love him. Uh, or she will just cut ties like she's done before. So the decision is yours. You know, money makes fools of us all. It's She's reaping the reward of something that's not very good, perhaps, was a little under the counter, and you're cross with her for having all that money and knowing that he's a liar. What do you think, Graham? Well, I suspect this man has your £16 for moving your TV licence. Uh, de <laughs> yes. def definitely. That's where it's gone. It's in Plymouth, and she's spending it like water. She's probably bought, like, four coffees, and that's... <laughs> yeah. Your hard-earned money. That's what yeah. I would say. Well, look, I think, Ellie, here's the thing. Your friend either knows or is choosing not to know. You know, it, it's... She must, you know, she must see what her husband does. Kind of, That's weird that we've got all this money because he doesn't appear to do very much. Uh, so she knows that this isn't great money. I think the difficulty here is, Ellie... You know, you're, you, he has to be stopped. I mean, I don't know who has made you the great kind of moral warrior. That, yes, the that arbiter must, of all of yeah, this. Yeah, that must do this. I, I mean, I know it must be frustrating to see your friend spending money like water when you know that it's ill-gotten and it hasn't been earned. And in fact, it's been probably scammed off people or people think that the money's being invested in something when in fact they've just, you know, been pushing a trolley around. Um, so I, it's, I don't know how, I don't know what, how you want this story to end, Ellie. I don't know what your happy ending is. Is your happy ending your friend and her husband kind of, you know, sitting on the side of the road crying um, or you know but you know what I mean because I don't know I don't know what the good outcome is because there isn't a good outcome and it, if she even if she goes to the authorities you know anonymously which I'm sure some people will suggest then you know they don't do anything you will be a suspect you know it's all I just think if you feel so strongly about it Ellie 
you just have to sever ties because yes. you know morally you feel you're taking they're taking bad money and you can't sit around and watch it happen you cannot benefit from it in any way but how strong are your morals on this one he's doing a bad thing what and are also, you going to do don't feel too sorry for your friend because she has literally gone into this with her eyes wide open it, this was all revealed before the wedding you know that he was a liar and a fraud was all out there in the open so it's not like she's pulled he He's pulled the wool over her eyes. You know, the the woolly hat is very far back in her head and she can see it all clearly. So I, I don't worry about her too much, but I, th- I think Maria's right. If this is upsetting you that much, uh, they are a couple. It's not just him. They are a couple and she is enabling this. So, you know, if, if you don't, if, if you can't stomach it, then you need to get out of Dodge and just cut these two people out of your life. I, it sounds harsh, but I, I think that probably is your only option. Yeah, I mean, it really does test one own moral boundaries I think they're doing bad things I don't like the bad things I will not see them or I will turn a blind eye to the bad things and you've been turning a blind eye for 10 years but now they have <laughs> proof they have they have proof uh, incontrovertible yes. proof of his fraudulent behaviour yeah, so stand around, sit around with your husband and your mutual friends and uh, talk about them that, that, that's, that's a good thing <laughs> to do as you have done for the last 10 years <laughs> yes uh, <laughs> if you've got advice for Ellie in Plymouth uh, do get in touch and as before my favourite responder will be getting a bottle of that Brancot Estate Sauvignon Blanc from Waitrose mmm salmon linguine I'll have some. Thank you. Well, now it goes with Toad in the Hole. We'll find out. Uh, right. Ellie in Plymouth. If it's bad money, someone is suffering. Be that fraud or theft or lying. Never mind the friendship. Stop being so weak. Go to the authorities immediately. If your friend is arrested, it's her own fault. That's from Russell in Manchester. Wow, just throw her in the clink. Uh, Sarah is in Callington. If Ellie's suspicions are correct, the chances are that the relevant authorities are aware and are either gathering evidence or have concluded that there is insufficient evidence to take the matter further. Leave well alone. At best, your friendship will implode. If you are incorrect in your assumptions and publicise them, you yourself could be facing a civil claim for defamation. (gasps) Throw yourself in the clink. Charles in Somerset. Criminals can be charismatic, charming and lovable. And Ellie, your friend is in deep. Take a step back and tell your friend that's what you're going to do. Tell her that you'll be there if she ever needs you, as that what friends do. Let her live her life. And, you know, it may not be to your taste, but yes, you do need to do that. Uh, morning, Graham Maria. Uh, love you, but other than agreeing with you re-severing ties, I do think Ellie has a moral obligation to go to the authorities, which she can do anonymously. Fraud ruins lives. I mean, talk to Maria. She's lost sixteen pounds this week alone. Uh, you have to be. You have to put yourselves in the shoes of those who may be being defrauded. Send an anonymous tip off and walk away. That's from Sam in Edinburgh. Now, see, that's that's kind of a telly thing, because where do you send that anonymous tip off (laughs) to the anonymous tip off line? I mean, I don't know who you send it to. And as Maria said, the authorities probably won't do anything because, you know, there probably won't be enough to investigate. But are you not a big enough crime to interest them? I don't know. It's a tricky one. I mean, you are right, Sam. This should be stopped. I just don't know how you go about that. Um, You know what? I'm going to give the wine, uh, that Bancroft uh, Sauvignon Blanc, 
to uh, Cheryl in Somerset because I think that's the thing you do. You step back, explain why you're stepping back and say, but I will be there if you ever need me at the other end of this. It's a tricky one. Thank you for your excellent advice as always. The Graham Norton Radio Show with Waitrose. Food to feel good about. Virgin Radio. Joan Armatrading, <laughs> welcome to the studio. Thank you very much, Graham. I've got to spend the next two hours talking about trying to get to the studio. My <laughs> My goodness, I, I, I left the house really, really early, super early, and I thought, right, uh, this is going to be really nice and relaxed. I spent about half an hour trying to find this building. In the end, I jumped out of the car and, and hailed this taxi guy, and he says, you're on the radio in a minute. <laughs> I said, yes, I'm trying to get to that. <laughs> now, I have to say, the first time I came in here, I was to see Chris Evans, I couldn't find it. It's yeah. so big... And it's well, once you find it, it's so obvious. Yeah. You've got to think, how could I not find this? But I was, I was underneath the station. I was going through the shops. That's it. Yeah, could not find it. Yeah. Anyway, welcome. You're here. Thank you. Yeah. Luckily, you gave yourself time. Now, I was talking on the right. This is so posh. Uh, all your lyrics collected in hardback. By Faber and Faber. Yeah. I mean, it's the sort of book that will end up in libraries. How did this happen? Did somebody come to you and yes. say? Yes. Really nice. Uh, Faber and Faber. Dan Paps <laughs> came and and asked me, you know, was it something I'd be interested in doing? And at, at first I thought, are people going to want to read lyrics away from the music? And then I thought, yeah, actually, yes, because I try and write so that you can take the, the words away from the music. Um, and so there's a hundred songs in there and it's I've written many more songs than that. It was actually very, very difficult to choose a hundred songs. Um, but I tried to pick the ones that I thought would be best without the music. Oh, OK. It, because, you know, it's a song. So you, when you write a song, you're thinking the whole thing, aren't you? The, thing, the rhythm, the, the words, the, the melody, all of that. Um, so if you were just writing poems, it'd probably some things you would do slightly differently in terms of the lyrics. So the first uh, song here is Conversation, 1972. Yeah. So are there loads of songs before that that you didn't think were good enough? Like. Oh, Oh, you mean that I'd written? Yeah. There's lo- yeah, there's loads of... I don't know that I didn't think they were good enough, though. <laughs> <laughs> Back off, Norton. <laughs> They're all excellent. <laughs> it's, just, it's just that, you know, when you're making an album, um, what you're going to do is pick the ones that you think are the best for that album. Yeah. Um, and the, the others are brilliant. Yes, of course they are. But, uh, <laughs> but they might not suit the, the style of that album. And I'm interested that it's only occasionally in the book you feel the need to put a little explanatory note about, you know, I was visiting New York or yes. um, this is a roadie or, you know, those sorts of things. Why did you only do it for some songs? Why did you leave other lyrics to speak for themselves? Uh, well, I actually think you shouldn't really do that. I, I I do now and again tell people why I wrote a particular song, but really I think you shouldn't, because otherwise I feel as if I must go around to every single person that's going to listen to that song <laughs> and say, this is how you must listen to it, this is the reason for it, this is the emotion you should get for it. And I do it to songs that I hear, I think, well, I, I'm sure I know why they wrote that, I'm sure, and this is the feeling that I get from it. And it might not be what the writer uh, wanted to happen so once you've once you've kind of you know let it go then you've got to let it go and let people just come up with what they want and have you is there an audiobook version of this no that's a good idea you know 
Well, no, I just thought I was going to ask you what it would be like to just speak your lyrics. Oh, Benjamin's, Benjamin Zephaniah um, read in these times. Uh, I did a programme uh, uh, about um, music and different aspects of it and how people relate to it and stuff like that. And part of it was Benjamin reading in these times. It was the most beautiful thing. I thought it was absolutely gorgeous. And when on the launch, which is the 10th, at Waterstones, um, there will be some readings f- of the lyrics. By you or no, be- you, no. I'll sing them, but I don't want to read them. <laughs> um, so uh, I think I think it's a chap called. Not I think I know. It's a chap <laughs> called uh, Fury W D. I think his name is. He's a poet, and Benjamin recommended him to me because Benjamin couldn't make it. Um, Harriet Waters and I don't know if I'm supposed to say this actually. You've said it. Now. I've said it now too yeah. late. Harriet Waters and Jade Anuka. So they'll be reading uh, songs. Um, and which lyrics. Waterstones is, is this? Waterstones it's Piccadilly. Piccadilly. Yes. Oh, fantastic! Is that that gorgeous event space up at the top? Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, that, that sounds really special. Yeah, it's, yeah. I'm really looking forward to it. And I have to say, they, they. I think you had to buy tickets, and the, the, I think pretty much as soon as they put the tickets on, they sold out, and then they put some more on, then they sold out. So that was really very encouraging for me that people would want to come along and <laughs> see me sign a book. <laughs> but also, I, I love when things like this happen in life because you, you could never have planned this. You could no. never have thought one day Faber and Faber will publish my my lyrics. No, not in a million years. It didn't. It didn't occur to me ever to think. Let me put. I mean, lyrics in a book. So here's the odd thing: you, you do a little introduction at the beginning, and there's some like it's so short; it's like a page, and yet there's so much in it. So your father played the guitar, but never taught you. Yes, he he didn't want me to touch his guitar, um, and because I couldn't touch it, I really wanted to have a guitar. <laughs> I really wanted to play the guitar. So when I saw the guitar in the pawn shop for three pounds, said to my mom. Can I have it? She said, no, but if they'll swap these two prams, you can have it. So I still got the guitar. But when he... the Tuning the guitar is the most important part of learning to play guitar. So even though he knew he wasn't going to tell me anything else, he knew that that's the part I should know how to do. So he taught me with a really weird little tune that you play. I've never seen anybody else tune a guitar like that. It's a really funny little tune. Uh, I still tune the guitar like that today. Um... And that's it. That's all he wanted to do. And then the other amazing fact you say is you never learnt anyone else's songs. Yeah. You just immediately started writing your own. Yes. Like that's you. You understand how extraordinary it, that sounds. I know it sounds. I know it sounds weird, and I I didn't know it was weird until I heard other people talk about how they started because they started by learning other people's songs, playing along to records. I didn't seem to do any of that. Um, I, this, that's just how it was. I don't. I don't know why. I don't know why, but I think I, my mother wanted the piano. She thought it was a great piece of furniture. Got it for the front room. As soon as it came in, I just started writing songs. I used to write limericks, yeah, and little funny stories and jokes. And um, when the piano arrived, I just I was straight there. And it's I was born that to do this, though. I was born to do this. Clearly, but it's weird that aspirational thing. People buying the piano. You know, I think, you know, Elton John would say the same thing. You know, his mother 
got that piano. It was a prized bit of furniture. Yes, that's right. Yeah. That's all she wanted. It wasn't. She nobody played it. I, I don't think I've ever seen my father play it. My mother certainly didn't play it. I've never seen anybody else in the house play it. But as soon as it came, I was I was there. I was I was doing that. Listen, we're about to uh, play "Love and Affection," uh, which is uh, page thirteen <laughs> in the book. Right. And just that opening uh, couplet that I'm not in love, but I'm open to persuasion. I mean, when that came to you, did you? think oh that is very good yes <laughs> I did and I can I can tell you where I was when I came up with that line I was in the King's Road and it's a few shops down from John Lewis um, and I was outside that shop that's it in the King's Road and it just came to you yeah Joan Armour Trading, one of our finest songwriters and all of her lyrics, well, not all, a hundred of them are gathered in The Weakness in Me. It is published in hardback by Faber and Faber. Um, now, not just that, it's a, it's a busy time. It's very busy. Are you aware of being busy? <laughs> yes, oh, I, good. I, I yeah, Because yeah. uh, you've got uh, an album coming out on the, is it the 18th, 18th of November? Yes. And so this is a live album. Yes, this is, um, I did the concert in, I can't remember, June, do you think, 2021? Um, and um, it's, a, it's with a band, and I did it at a place called Asylum Chapel, a beautiful place. It's like an old church, kind of dilapidated, but but beautifully dilapidated, you know? No, because I thought I was reading it wrong, so it is Asylum. Yes, Asylum. <laughs> no, because I was going, Asylum, I was thinking, why would a chapel be called Asylum? But it's the Asylum yes, Chapel. it's Asylum Chapel. Gorgeous, absolutely beautiful place and um so i did the concert with with musicians lovely really lovely guys and we we i never well actually the the bass player i had worked with before but the rest i hadn't and we gelled like as if we'd been together for the last 20 years or something it was really gorgeous sound beautiful sounding um gig i chose as many songs that i hoped people would really like identify with and some some people won't necessarily know that well um, and so there's old stuff going back to the 70s and stuff right to the last album, Consequences. Um, and the BBC showed that concert. So they showed it on BBC Two uh, a few weeks back. Uh, so it's now available uh, on iPlayers. And I I would urge you yeah, all no, so I'm, to... I'm in, I'm in. I don't know how I missed the fact that that was on, but yeah. I will definitely, definitely watch that. And, you know, you mentioned that the last album, Consequences, which, you know, got amazing reviews and charted yeah, and everything. Yeah. I mean, where do you remember the bit in your life when, because obviously, you know, you were Joan Trading, Top of the Pops, still charts, okay, <laughs> still are, you were, you were and remain Joan Trading. But do you remember that bit when suddenly, you know, the, the heat of being a pop star kind of went away and then you just became, you know, a re really credible songwriter with your fan base and, and doing new music. Yeah, I don't know that I've ever had the heat of being a pop star because I'm not a big kind of uh, imagey type person, you know, so I can just really just be who I am. And just See, make... I remember in college we all knew who you were. It was Joe Number Trading and you had the key around yeah, your neck right. yeah, and yeah. all, you know. <laughs> there was an image, definitely. There was, was an image yeah, there. Yeah, I suppose so, but I, I, I wasn't there, really. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I was there, of course I was there, but I, I didn't get into the pop starry yeah. thing. And with songwriting now, are you constantly doing it or do you sometimes kind of think, oh, I, I time to get another album together? 
It's sort of like that, but I think this, that last album, Consequences, I think was my 22nd, and I'm writing the next album now. So I'm, I'm always writing. I like to write. I love to write. This is, again, I, why I'm here. I'm here to write songs. Um, but I will go for months without writing anything, and I'm very happy with that. I don't panic. It's not a, it's not a writer's block. Anything. It's just that that's not what needs to be happening now. And yeah. then, and then I'll just write, 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 write. Can't do you stop. do you write at the piano or with the guitar? Both. Yeah. So some some are written with the guitar, some with the piano, some music first, some lyrics first, some both together, some from a riff, some, and most of the songs I write are from observation most of what I look at. I love giving this story of when I... Uh, there's a song of mine called The Shouting Stage, and I wrote it because I was in Australia and in a restaurant, and this man and this woman, they were having the biggest row. I mean, like, proper. Uh, and the guy got up, he walked out at the restaurant, the woman was left crying. And I was thinking, what, what got them to the shouting stage? What got them to that thing? And I wrote the song. And I can absolutely bet you I'm the only one who wrote the song about that. <laughs> and so then I like to include Mark Knopfler because he wrote Money for Nothing because he was in that store in America and he saw the guy watching the television and the guy saying, you know, that's Money for Nothing. Look at them looking at MTV. You know, that's the way to do it. That's not working. He's the only one who went home and wrote that song. Yeah. I can tell you. And so it's it's just about being present and, and just kind of, you know, just loving what you're doing. And when you were putting the hundred songs together, the hundred lyrics together, was there one, was there one that you kind of went, wow, actually, come on, this is, this is the one? Um, it's more than one. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, you know, there's a song called Something's Gotta Blow, and I absolutely love that. That's, uh, uh, the reason I wrote that was... I was on the underground, on the Northern Line, and everything had stopped. The Northern Line was absolutely packed. It was a heat wave typey thing. It was horrible. Um, and everybody was hustling and bustling and shoving. And so the song revolves around that, you know, and it talks about, uh, you know, get me stand on the right so I can pass on the left, all that kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, so I love those lyrics. I love the lyrics to Empty Highway. I think it's in there. I wrote a song for Nelson Mandela. Oh, yeah, that's um, in here. Yeah, that's in there, The Messenger. I like like the, that song. Um, and there's a song called Square the Circle, and it's just describing somebody trying to tell somebody something, but they're so kind of holding themselves back, and so the song just describes all the things they're doing to avoid saying, you know, what yeah, they yeah, need yeah, to what say. They say so, yeah, yeah. Um, there are, listen, it's just a gorgeous thing. It's called The Weakness in Me. It's just... Oh, that's another one. Oh, yeah, there's one. Yeah, they're all quite good, Joan, really. They're all quite good. Um, the Weakness in Me, that is out in hardback now. And that live album, live at uh, the Asylum Chapel, that's out on the 18th of November, and the concert is streaming now on iPlayer. Uh, Joan, I'm trading. Hopefully you find your way home easier than you found your way in. Um, yes. Enjoy the rest of your Saturday. Thank Take you. care now. Bye. 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 The Graham Norton radio show with Waitrose. Food to feel good about. Virgin Radio. I am joined by my second guest of the day. Uh, Juliet Stevenson stars in the critically claimed play The Doctor. It is at the Duke of York Theatre until December the 11th. Uh, you can get tickets at The Doctor West End, all one word, .co.uk. Juliet Stevenson, it's like you wrote these reviews yourself. I mean, <laughs> it, you... <laughs> It's like you hacked into the papers and just went, yeah. I mean, 
It's really rare. I mean, do you read do you read the reviews? I pretend I don't, right? Yeah. So I, I don't read them until somebody says, no, they're really, really good, and then I sneak a, a sneak a peek, which is pathetic, but that's what yeah. I do. No, I mean, I think, um, you know, you can get so burned by them. You can get burned by good ones as well. You have to be really, really careful not to believe any hype. That's my sort of rule in life. I guess it's, particularly if, if they pick out a particular moment, then I guess you... It's a disaster every when they pick night, out... Every night, then you kind of go, oh, this, uh, is, this is the really good bit. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> and, you, and, you know... The work is the work and you know, the audiences are great and they really, really... There's, there, I, I, I listen more to audiences. I mean, they are, there's this sort of hunger coming off them at the moment for, for what the play's about, which is the most glorious thing. But no, listen, of course I would be lying if I said I wasn't thrilled to have such a great response from the press. Yes. Um, and you must notice all the stars hanging outside the theatre as you walk in. <laughs> yeah, but you have to look very carefully because sometimes that's, you know, like like the, the Guildford, you know. It, 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 it's not necessarily from the Guardian. Or the... <laughs> but in this case it is. It is yeah, five it, stars. The Guardian. Yeah, yes. Yeah. Um, so, uh, okay. So you can tell us the beginning of the play. You can tell us the premise of yeah. the play. What kicks off the what you know? The drama ensues after. So drama ensues after um, Doctor Me. Um, Ruth Wolf. Uh, Ruth Wolf. Her name is, and this is based on, on this is based on a real play on a, on a play that was written in the beginning of the twentieth century when the Doctor was was a man. Anyway, Ruth Wolf, the Doctor, is actually researching Alzheimer's, um, but she goes into A and E, the A and E department, and sees a young fourteen year old girl who is dying of a self administered abortion. Catholic, young Catholic girl. So she brings her up. She has, a, she has she suddenly has this idea she wants to save her life. She can't save her life, but she wants at least to give her a happy and peaceful death where the kid doesn't know she's dying. Priest arrives to give the child the last rites because her parents who are abroad have said please go and deliver the last rites to our darling daughter and she won't let him in. So I won't let him in because I don't want the girl to know she's dying. Priest insists, I refuse, he gets angry, I um, debatably strike him in some way, touch him, touch him with little, or, or hit him or punch him. We don't know, that's ambiguous. And so he, he leaves the hospital and the girl dies without having had the last rites. Um, that, you know, the, the doctor's Jewish, the priest is black, the girl's a Catholic, possibly. Um, it's an abortion. So you can see that when that, when that then goes viral, everybody, or many, many, many interest groups yes. who have a view. And it seems unlikely this is based on a comedy. Like when it was... The original play was it? I think that's what it, that's what it said in the Guardian review. Well, well, I mean, it's, some of it is very funny. I mean, some of it is funny in the way that she has a very dark humour. She's an amazing character. She is like a woman at the top of her profession, very disliked. I play her very unlikable. She's had to fight hard, like many women, to get to the top. It wasn't a happy childhood, I don't think. She doesn't want to be defined by her gender, by her Jewishness, by anything. She just wants to be seen as a great doctor and to cure this disease of which her lover has died, Alzheimer's. And so she doesn't she doesn't suffer fools gladly, but she's got this wonderful dry wit. So, you know, that kicks in. And is it one of those plays that draws conclusions or is it one of those plays where you go out for dinner afterwards and have a fight? You ha- well, you have a f- well, hopefully you have a really lively <laughs> chat, you know, because, I, um, I mean, maybe you have a fight. You might have... A- maybe Maybe if you're very, very, you know, very of the, of the, uh, but but what I love about it is it's very, very, anti, it's very, it's very anti the culture. So it's not saying this is a point of view you've got to share. It's like a prism. It keeps turning.
journey and you see a different aspect of the story, a different point of view. And that's the point, that everybody's point of view is valid, is heard, is shared. And people really can disagree. But you can disagree in the safe space of a dark theatre where nobody's life is on the line or nobody's going to get screamed at or told, you know, or trolled. It, it's safe to discuss these things in the way that we probably used to without kind of sending each other Twitter messages that we want to kill each other. And the the casting, I mean, the, that, that phrase blind casting is used a lot. This really is this blind casting, or is it deliberate? No. Where you, you cast against who the character is? No, it absolutely. It really isn't blind casting. It's everybody swaps at least one um, identity thing. So if you're, the black actors are playing white characters, and the other way around, men are playing women are playing men. There are no men playing women. Trans play cis. Cis play trans. Um, I play Jewish. So the, that, I mean, I don't really want to sort of uh, spill it all out here because if people come, it's one of the treats of the show that you, but it's, it's not clear who pe- what people's identity cards are when you're watching the show. So you watch the show and the things that happen and things that people say to each other. And then later you say, oh, that character's black. Oh, that woman's Jewish. Oh, that, oh, oh, that child really is in transition. Yeah. So you, you, you later say, oh, would I have thought that if had I known the priest was black or had oh, I known... Oh, that's genius, yeah. isn't it? So it makes you second guess yourself and you your preconceptions yeah exactly so the audience go through the whole thing of facing their preconceptions wow and this is uh robert ike it's pronounced ike it is ike ike and so you've worked with him a lot now yeah third time yeah Uh, we did hamlet with the wonderful andrew scott and we did um uh, mary stewart uh with leah williams in which we you know tossed a coin we, we played both mary and elizabeth um the first, so that was fun. Yeah, he's a, he's a wonderful, wonderful writer and director. I mean, he wrote this pretty much entirely. So he's yeah, he's very, very he's and brilliant. Did, did he write it for you? Kind of, kind of, yeah. Yeah, um, let's say yes. But but <laughs> I mean, I think you know, there's a lot about the character that is him, to be honest. And um, uh, so he, 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 there are some men who can write women completely brilliantly. A lot of the time, men can't. But Rob really, really understands how to write for women and I think great writers do you know like Shakespeare Ibsen you know the Lorca there are, there are times when you, you you read a play written by a man like Hedda Gabler or Doll's House or something and you think how could they possibly have known but they just do um, and that's maybe because we are all you know we have all genders within us and if you're a really yeah. great writer you'll pull on all those things So this started in the Almeida Yeah up in North London, which yeah. has this incredible hit rate, that theatre. It does. It does. It does lots of the most interesting work. Um, yeah, everybody kind of wants to work there. You, you, know, you, know, you get paid very badly, but you sometimes do the most interesting stuff. And look at you now in the West End, in London's <laughs> glittering West End. Um, uh, but I wondered, what's it like if you do a run of a play and you have a certain rhythm and you know how to play it in that room? Mm. How big a shock is it to you and the rest of the cast when suddenly you're at the Duke of York's and it's a much bigger... House. It's a great question. I mean, it, I think the thing is, you get, you know, you're playing to sort of four times the number of people, and that's really exciting. And I think that the significant thing is, we did it in 2019, and then we were going to go into the West End next year, and then lockdown happened. So we've had two, you know, we've had two, three years of COVID. And coming back to the same play and saying the same words with that huge experience we've all had in between, in between, you know, so much has happened and the world has changed. You know, George Floyd was alive when we danced at the show and now the whole Black Lives Matter has been born and, and, and has changed perspectives a lot and so on. And there's loads of things that have made it a very, very much even more relevant play. So the relevance of it, a lot of it's dealing with, you know, cancel culture and identity politics and so on. And those things have become even more heightened. 
And it's interesting this week with Elon Musk buying Twitter and all the discussions about what Twitter is and isn't. Um, uh, so I think the play just feels even more relevant. And it's it's a great feeling to play to a large crowd of people about something that's really about now. That's my favourite thing, you know, it's right, right now. But because of that, that gap, and as you say, we've all been through this thing, mm. do you notice audiences kind of reacting more to certain points of the play or reacting differently to certain points of the play? Definitely. Oh, massively, massively. So at the end, the character's kind of put on trial when she's more or less destroyed. She agrees to go on a television programme, which is a bit like sort of a serious news night thing. So she's going, she's going to be asked a lot of questions and have to defend herself in front of a, a panel. And that's very brilliantly staged. And um, it's not something she wants to do, so she's a bit reluctant. And it, well, she makes a terrible hash of it, in fact. But so all the panel members are representing different points of view, pro-abortion, anti-abortion, you know, um, uh, unconscious bias, all sorts of things. And and that's when the audience responses are very, very sort of loud and visceral and according to what their beliefs are. But everybody gets heard. So you, you, you're aware that there's a multitude of different points of view in the audience. Wow. And do you think it will go further than the West End? Will it go to Broadway? Will it be filmed? What's the story? Yeah, I think it's going, I think it's going to New York next year. That's mm-hmm. the plan. That you've yeah. packed a bag? Yeah, uh, <laughs> You'll be yet. very disappointed if it doesn't. I will, I, well, I think it'll be fascinating to take it there because this stuff is even probably even more heightened in, in, in New York. And, you know, God knows what will happen politically next year. Um, so we'll see. Wow. And because mm. you've played Broadway before. I haven't actually... No, I haven't actually done Broadway because... My kids, I never really wanted to leave the kids to do that. And I did do little night music at the New York City Opera and I took the kids with me and and my oldest went into school there. That was giddy. That was really, really fun. But that's the only time I've actually done a show in New York. So now that they're grown up, my kids now, so I'm sort of free to... To tour the world. Yeah. Look out, Broadway. She's on her <laughs> way. Uh, catch her before she leaves. Uh, the Doctors at the Duke of York's until December the 11th. Uh, Juliet Stevenson, thank you so much for coming to see us. Thank uh, you, Is it a two-show day? It's a two-show day. Oh, I'm sorry. Only for you. Oh, Only for you, darling. But you look great. I said to you off air as well. Thank you look you. very rested. You don't look like you're being worked too hard. I'm sorry to say. <laughs> I'm sure, I'm sure I should say you look exhausted. No, I, no. thank you. Thank <laughs> you right. very much. Take it. Thank you so much for coming here to see us. Still to come, there's a round of Guest the Guest and Kevin Clifton and Maisie Smith. Join me to fill us in on the new nationwide tour of Baz Luhrmann's musical Strictly Ballroom. But first... Hi, Martha. How are you? I am well, thank you. I'm all the better for seeing you. Uh, now, you bring us a toad in a hole, but not just any old toad in oh, the hole. The Well, the best toad in the hole, I hope. Is what you will think about this. <laughs> so is this you did this? You you, you I made this. You, you I went, wrote this. But no, but you went through all the toad in the hole recipes. I did. Went through now, many a toad in the hole. Like how many toad in the hole recipes are there? Well, I it was more the component parts that I was investigating. Okay. So trying mainly the best part of toad in the hole, as we all know, is the Yorkshire pudding. So that mm. was what I focused on. Kind of reading up on Yorkshire pudding, testing lots of variations, trying different oils, trying different ratios to try and find one that yields those big kind of cavity, big bubbles. Yes. And really kind of that stretchy texture and just everything that we love about crispy, crunchy Yorkshire pudding. And then incorporate that into one of the nation's favourite dishes. Toad in the hole. Toad in the hole. It, it, is it as favourite as it was? I feel like it used to be such a kind of family staple. Everyone would have had toad in the hole like once a fortnight or something. And now it, I, I can't remember the last time I saw toad in the hole. I don't know. I mean, I love it. 
My yeah. mum used to make a really good one growing up. So, and you can, when I was reading up about the history of Totten Hole, it's oh, like yes. people used to use it kind of as a really good way to make leftovers go further. So you could use bits of your leftover roast dinner and then you pour this lovely fresh batter over the top and it kind of brings it to life again. So you can do all sorts. And this would be great for tonight if people are oh, out yes. feeling the chill. Uh, a glass of mulled wine and, oh, and, and a, a little slice of Toad in the Hole. Yes. That'll be delicious. This has been well-timed. Yeah, it really has. And uh, I noticed there's a nice jug, a steaming jug beside the Toad in the Hole. <laughs> What's in that? Well, I just made you a quick onion gravy because you can't really have a dry Yorkshire pudding, you know. That's no. not appropriate. No, no, no. <laughs> that would be wrong. It on would. every level. I could eat that till I was sick. That is, <laughs> that is so good. The Yorkshire pudding is phenomenal, Martha. Oh, thank you. It's so light. There's nothing leathery or, you know, dry, terrible. Like, you actually wouldn't need the... I mean, the gravy's lovely, but actually that wouldn't be so dry. It, it's gorgeous. Uh, so talk us through how we make the best, the best, tone the hole. So, start with our butter. So we're going to get this perfect. And to get it perfect, you've got to give it time. <laughs> Which is a mystery to me. I did no yes. idea that you needed to let it rest. So this is applies for making Yorkshire puddings for you to go with your roast, but also works well in Toad in the Hole. Um, but you basically want to get that batter made at least three hours before you want to bake it in and the you, oven. And you made this yesterday, this batter? So yeah. The ideal is to let it rest overnight or for that amount of yeah. time. Because it just allows all of the flour granules to kind of absorb to hydrate and it means that you get a much kind of puffier bigger batter and it makes the holes inside much bigger and softer rather than small and crunchy see i feel like this is where i've been going wrong all along because i've never knew this about yorkshire pudding i've done the batter done the thing and they were never great yorkshire puddings but this so clever it okay. makes a big difference and it works with pancakes as well if you're ever making kind of just basic english pancakes giving that batter a little rest does wonders. Wow. Okay, so our batter's resting. Yep, so, and it's making the batter is super simple. It's literally, it's six eggs whisked up, and then you add your flour, your milk, season it, set it to one side to mm -hmm. rest. And then when we're coming to cook it, you want to get yourself a nice metal roasting tin mm -hmm. um, or like an enamel tray. You don't want anything that's ceramic because you want it to get super hot when it has the oil that goes into it. Okay. We're going to put into that some sausages. So I've got some lovely Waitrose kind of free-range pork sausages in there. And then I've put red onion in my toad in the hole. Delicious. Some people would say, oh, that's not very traditional. But I think it, it works really nicely with all kind of that fattiness that you get from the pork. You yeah. A little bit of cut through. So kind of quartered red onion sausages, they will go into the oven for about 15 minutes to get some colour on them and to get a little bit crispy. Mm -hmm. And then we add a little bit of olive oil, not extra virgin olive oil. You, kind of, you can just use slightly kind of worst quality olive yeah, oil for this or vegetable oil, oil. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> works well because it does it has a kind of um lower smoking point and you don't want it to start kind of smoking out your kitchen no the oil goes in to get really hot so you get the lift and then when you bring it out quickly pour over your batter i put a little bit of rosemary in there as well for some aromatic very nice and then close the door don't open it for half an hour if you open it and let that steam out your pudding will look very sad and deflate so keep it closed if you're making any sides cook them on the hob <laughs> so that is so that's it i mean that that thing about resting the batter is genius 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 if you want to uh, see the recipe it's in the waitrose weekend newspaper it is the uh, the centerfold i notice i know aren't i lucky i get a big it's old the spread star. <laughs> it's the star uh, martha's best toad in the hole and recipes past and present can be found at the graham norton with waitrose hub on the waitrose website you just go to waitrose.com slash showchef to see all the recipes prepared by Martha. You could also check out the recipe on our social
socials at Virgin Radio UK. Uh, what have you got tomorrow? Sweet, savoury? Something sweet, something to keep you warm on a bonfire night. Or the night after bonfire night. Yeah, yeah. That'll do. Yeah, just keep it <laughs> warm. Something sweet. I'll eat it. It'll be delicious. The Graham Norton Radio Show with Waitrose. Food to feel good about. Virgin Radio. You must be glowing after the triumph of your toad in the hole yesterday. I have to tell you, I often judge the speed that the dish is eaten by the crew as how good the dish was. Yeah. And yesterday... It was gone in a flash. No, so it I'll was like that. a flock of seagulls <laughs> attacking some chips. It was it was pretty pretty hectic out there. Uh, <laughs> I noticed when I was leaving, it was like, oh, well, no, no need to wash that dish. Yeah, it, yeah. Uh, did yeah. me a favour, to be honest. And I have a funny feeling it might be a similar reaction today. What <laughs> have you made us? So today we've got a malt sticky toffee pudding. Say what now? Oh yes, a sticky toffee pudding made even nicer with the addition of malt. This is perfect for today because look i got so wet so soggy getting here today i've just about dried out but this is the kind of thing you need to warm yourself up actually i mean both of these dishes like yesterday's toad the hole and now the malt sticky toffee pudding would be a lot oh that'd be a great dinner with with you get a bottle of the waitrose shiraz the <laughs> yes. yellowtail shiraz meal you're deal. laughing that's your whole <laughs> meal right there um so this is did you bake this from scratch i did bake this from scratch can anyone bake it from scratch? I, I would hope so. <laughs> Sticky toffee pudding. It's, we've been baking it for years and years and years in this country, so it's a good one to have in your repertoire. And uh, what are you serving it with? So I'm serving it with some malt sticky toffee sauce mm-hmm. and some just nice double cream. You could do custard as well, but the dish is so piping hot, I thought you might need a bit of <laughs> something to cool it down. So to cool it down. So are you <laughs> serving this hot today? It is a very hot sticky toffee pudding, absolutely. So this is fresh from the oven? It's fresh out of the oven, yeah. came out five minutes ago. Oh, wow. <laughs> I'm, so, I'm so impressed. And did you bring that tray in with you this morning or did you actually mix it all in a bowl out there? I mixed it all in a bowl out there. I made it... I bought the raw ingredients with me. Well done. <laughs> Protected them from the rain. Right, yes. <laughs> the dates were kept safe. <laughs> yeah, extra, extra water. Extra water. <laughs> um, and this is a recipe by Ravneet Gill. Absolutely, yeah. Wonderful um, judge on Junior Bake Off and author of lots of brilliant um, baking cookery books. Okay, well, uh, literally, the proof is in the pudding uh, because I'll be eating it. You know, I'm supposed to be going out for lunch after the show today. Oh, no. And uh, (laughs) honestly, they're going to think I'm a supermodel just picking at a salad (laughs) because I'm now so stuffed full of malt sticky toffee pudding. Uh, it is delicious. And because and malt is one of those, you know, because like uh, those malt beers and stuff, I'm not a big mm. fan of. But I don't know what the malt does to this, but it's not too malty at all. It's got that really nice sweetness. Like I love things like malt loaf. And I don't mind a cup of Horlicks every now and again. Wow. Okay. <laughs> all right, Granny Martha. I know. It's got that. I was saying to you earlier, when you open the tub, it's got that smell. So yeah, the secret ingredient that brings the malt is in fact Ovaltine in this okay. dessert but you could equally use Horlicks that should do the same do the same job okay so uh, talk us through it so we're going to start with the dates now dates often people go oh I love sticky toffee pudding and then they read that it has dates in it and go oh no not that kind but all 
all sticky toffee pudding has dates in it. Oh, okay. <laughs> but people don't like to think it. So what do they do? They just melt away into nothing. Yeah, they just kind of disappear into the sauce, and they and they have such a lovely natural kind of toffee flavour that that's where a lot of it comes from. So we've got a fair few medjool dates that go into this. We're going to put them in a pan of water and boil them for 15 minutes just to make them extra soft so that they'll puree really nicely. Whilst those are cooking, we're going to whisk together some dark brown sugar, some Ovaltine or Horlicks powder, and two eggs. Get that nice and mixed down. Did I say butter as well? Butter as well, of course. Butter as well, of course. <laughs> you can I mean, taste the, the butter. The butter was silent. Uh, yeah, yeah. Um, with that, just making kind of a basic cake batter. Then once your dates have been boiled for 15 minutes, we're going to either you can blitz them in a food processor or you can mash them up with a fork um, and add one te- teaspoon of bicarbonate of soda. Of course. We're then going to fold through some flour into the mixture, add in the kind of date puree mix and then pop that into a buttered tin. Bake that for 30 to 40 minutes at 180 degrees. And then whilst that's in the oven, we're going to make the sticky toffee sauce, which is super simple, literally taking double cream, Ovaltine powder, brown sugar and butter again, repeating the same delicious ingredients. And boil them just for a couple of minutes till they're lovely and melted and golden. And then when the pudding comes out, you want to pour a little bit of that sauce over the top so it kind of makes a lovely sticky crust. Mm. And then serve it with either custard, ice cream, double cream, a bit more sauce. I mean, it's sort of amazing that that, that sauce, that's all that is. That, yeah. that That's just those ingredients. Uh, what can go wrong with that? Like, if you let it boil, does it go a bit granular or something? I mean, that seems lovely. And I feel like that's where I would go wrong with this. <laughs> no, it really is simple. I think the, um, the Ovaltine stabilises it slightly as well, which is handy. Um, but if the only thing that could go wrong is you boil it for so long that it would become like a big ball of sticky toffee candy. Oh, yeah. So don't don't yeah, do that. Don't That'll do be that. really annoying to wash up. Yeah, don't, don't, uh, yeah, t- yeah, right. Terrible to wash up as well. Yeah, <laughs> definitely. You're don't just throwing do that. that saucepan in the bin, <laughs> straight in the bin. Uh, well, that sounds simple and gorgeous, and what a perfect uh, dessert on a horrible day like today. Uh, that recipe can be found in this month's Waitrose Food Magazine. Mm, yes. Not the paper. The magazine. The magazine. Along with lots of Ravneet's written about seven different recipes featuring different seasonal things. There's a couple on dates, which is what this one is one of, and there's a couple on different lovely seasonal ingredients. Yeah, and don't forget, uh, all our recipes, past and present, you can find them at the Graham Norton with Waitrose Hub. We have a hub. Uh, head to waitrose.com slash showchef to see all the recipes prepared by Martha. You can also check out the recipe on our socials at Virgin Radio UK. Hey, lady, uh, have a great week. Thank and you, you I'll, too. Uh, I'll see you next weekend. The Graham Norton Radio Show with Waitrose. Food to feel good about. Virgin Radio. Yes, I'm joined by Kevin Clifton and Maisie Smith. They are currently touring in Strictly Ballroom, which is the stage production uh, and musical adaptation of Baz Luhrmann's 90s uh, film. Uh, right, so here's the thing. Uh, Maisie Smith, obviously EastEnders, you can act. We've seen you in Strictly, you can dance. Uh, but I just had a text there kind of going, who knew uh, you could sing? Did you know you could sing? Do you know what? No, I didn't know that I could Really, I've always given it a go. Never had, <laughs> never really had good enough reactions to go. Wow, you should be a singer. So I've always kept it pretty on the down low. But um, I think when when I was introduced to this musical, they taught us the songs. I think I'm just very lucky that the songs really match my voice, and um, I've just absolutely loved it. And it's I've never I never expected the response to my voice that I've got. It, it's given me so much more confidence in, oh, is that in my voice. It's crazy. And are they original songs or is it uh, a kind of is it a more of a jukebox musical? It's both. 
Um, there's there's some really classic, like iconic songs that everyone knows and loves, and then you've got some that were written particularly for the musical, some that were written by people like Sia that, that you wouldn't have even heard, but um, and they're they're just beautiful. I'm really excited. And, and Kevin, you have done because I think lots of people leave Strictly and they have a career. They go on and they do you know tours of kind of very dance based shows. Yeah. You're the one I can think of who's got this other career where you know you are just a theater star now you are you do it all um so again did you know you know when you were a you know a full-time dancer did you always know i've got these other strings to my bow well i've i've always loved theater and and i've like for the longest time thought like theater is is what I want to do. I want to sing and act as well as dance. It's just that like dance kept sort of taking over everything all the time. So like I was doing competitions and then I was part of a dance company. And then I actually um, did um, Dirty Dancing in the West End before I did Strictly. Oh, right. Um, so I was doing that and I was like, this is this is where I want to be. I'm doing musical theatre in the West End. And then Strictly Come Dancing happened and then dance sort of took over again. And, um, and I had seven years on that. And obviously Strictly becomes sort of so all consuming. Um, but then I I always had in the back of my mind like one day I want to return to doing theatre again because yeah. I, I just love it um, and so yeah that's but that you, was always you, my mean, intention hats off to you because you've made such a success of it I mean this is the oh, second or third thing I think you've been in here to talk to us about so yeah <laughs> um, and w- now tell me this so obviously you both have Strictly credentials but had you left before Maisie was on Strictly well wow. we we no actually danced there. together on the Children in Need special in oh. 2019. Oh, the year see. before Maisie did the main uh, did the main show. So I mean, on the Children in Need special, you only get to do sort of one little dance together. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah. Maisie was so good, like she she was so brilliant, like soaking it all up. And I was saying to the producers, you really should have her on on the show, like because she's amazing. She really like applies herself. And then uh, and Maisie was like, yeah, please, I want to be on the show. And then the <laughs> next year, she was in the final dancing with Gorka. Yeah. So Kevin introduced me to the world of Strictly and now the world of musical theatre. Yeah. So he's my lucky charm. <laughs> he's going to stay with me now. <laughs> who were you in the final? Who were you up against in the final? Um, Bill Bailey and Harvey and Jamie. It was in 2020. Jamie okay. Lang. And of course, Bill Bailey lifted the trophy. He did indeed. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. Spat on the dance floor. <laughs> Stomped off. I haven't spoken since. <laughs> uh, but of course, the Strictly connection doesn't just let, uh, end there. So, Craig Revel Horwood uh, directed this. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Mean, that must be so weird to have the relationship changed. We have a different relationship with him. Mm. Yeah, it's because I'd only ever worked with him like as as this judge, and you sort of, as, as Maisie knows as well, you, you prepare this dance all week. You're just working on this 90 seconds of dance, and then you do it in front of everyone on a Saturday night, and Craig goes... That was rubbish, <laughs> and I thought. But but obviously, like everyone who knows him knows he's, he's a really nice guy. Sort of, you know, away from the camera. You know, like a, when you see him, sort of after the show's gone off air and stuff. He's a really nice guy, and everyone loves him. And I thought, I wonder what he's going to be like to sort of directing it. It's a whole different dynamic. And then I sort of quickly found out that you'd spend all week doing these scenes and these songs, and he'd sit there and go. That was rubbish. Do it again. (laughs) (laughs) But but he was brilliant. Like, he was really creative. And he wanted to sort of start from scratch and redo the musical and come up with a whole, like, load of new ideas and stuff. So it was really exciting to be sort of 
playing with a, a blank sheet of paper and Craig just going, try this, do that, yeah. um, run around over there, push her over, do the, try something like this. It was, yeah, it's Price. exciting. <laughs> no. Fine. <laughs> uh, but Maisie, there are all these people in Strictly kind of behind the scenes who we don't know, and one of them's involved in this, uh, Jason Gilkerson. Yes. Yeah. So what does he do on Strictly, Jason Gilkerson? He's, like, the main choreographer on the show, so, um, you know, he, he does most of the... the like what the professional dances, the numbers, and like if you're if you're doing a dance with your partner, like they they the ones that will come in and say, you know maybe tweak this or tweak that. So like he he's a pretty big choreographer. Like you see him like pretty much every day. So then when I found out that he was choreographing the tour, I was just I was, it was buzzing because he's he's so talented and it's absolutely amazing what he's what he's come up with in the show. It's <laughs> it's beautiful. Maybe we should talk about the plot of uh, Strictly Ballroom, <laughs> which you're quite right, we should, because not everyone's seen the film. So, uh, Maisie, who do you play? I play Fran. Um, she's, like, she's the cutest little... Oh, she's so cute. Um, basically, she, she's got a similar conflict to Scott in the way that she's been brought up in a very traditionally Spanish household but she wants to find her own journey in dance and she stumbles across Scott who like-mindedly is 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 facing a similar struggle with he's been brought up knowing that there's there's the right steps to do it's all about technique and and following the federation rules and and he wants to to express and and be, and not conform to what he's been taught. And, and when they join forces, they create something pretty pretty magical, I think. Oh, so, but Scott, you, you are... <laughs> Kevin, already I'm there. <laughs> I, I mean, I mean I'm lost in the music. Uh, so, Kevin, you play Scott, and he's the experienced one. Yeah, he's like um, this sort of competition ballroom dancer who he's like on the edge of becoming like the main champion like winning uh, the, the competition in this is the the pan pacific the pan pacific grand prix is the the big competition that they all want to win did you hear the accent there did you hear yeah, the accent yeah, he's it, doing the yeah, accent yeah it's set in australia in case yeah, anyone yeah. didn't get he's doing that. the accent he's a lot of australian yeah <laughs> and a lot of not australian yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and um and but he like Maisie was saying he's sort of rebelling he doesn't he doesn't feel like he wants to conform he's bored with how he's dancing and he wants to express himself in new ways and find new steps and he goes a bit rogue and sort of starts doing his own steps because he likes um, entertaining the audience more than winning the competition hence like picking let me entertain you yeah um and but he doesn't know quite what he's searching for. He just knows he wants something different, not just this same sort of life that he's had, you know, following what everyone else is doing, because everyone's doing the same steps, trying to win the same competitions. And um, he meets Fran and I don't want to spoil it for anyone, but it's a romantic comedy, oh, I would yeah. say. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh. <laughs> so we'll see what happens there. You'll have to come and find out. <laughs> and, and Maisie, obviously we've seen you do lots of teleacting, but have, have you done a lot of theatre? I haven't, no. This is a completely different style of acting. So this is really exciting for you. It really is. Yeah. Like, this is stuff I've just never done before. Um, it's crazy, but... it. I feel really good, and I feel like the, re the reaction we've had has been pretty amazing, and I'm I'm buzzing. Considering and, and by this stage, you know, because it's been you've been going for what six weeks. You've been yeah. On, yeah. on the road, yeah. And this week you're in 
Wimbled- we're about Wimbled- to start Wimbledon. Wimbledon, beautiful, yeah. Wimbledon. Yeah. beautiful, Wimbledon. lovely theatre. Uh, yeah, <laughs> Wimbledon. I was there a couple of weeks ago. Wimbledon is like ridiculous. It's so pretty and little coffee shops and little. Yeah, bit. yeah, yeah, yeah. And by the way, I should tell people if they want to get tickets for uh, the tour, it's strictly ballroom tour all one word, .co.uk. And this is quite a tour. Uh, how long is it going on for? Uh, I'm on this tour until uh, July next year. Maisie? <laughs> I, I'm on this tour until March next year. <laughs> wow. Uh, that's yeah. a good, well, it's a good, it's good... The good thing is you don't need to make any Christmas plans. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> because you know what you're doing. And there was no, no time presents. to buy anything for anyone. No, yeah, no, exactly. no, that's the struggle, guys. I'm really sorry. I, I've not got the time. Or... <laughs> uh, but the good thing is you're enjoying it. Yeah, yeah. I'm loving yeah. it. And and like Maisie said, oh, I'm buzzing. It's my first show. She's absolutely brilliant. Honestly, like Maisie, like to say this is her first musical is ridiculous because like she's just she's knocking it out of the park. She's amazing. Oh, wow. And it must be nice to be part of just that big company on the road and, you know, meeting up in each town. It is cool. It is, it is fun going to different places all the time because everyone has a different reaction. Some people, when you go up north, they're quite rowdy and it is fun when when you go to different places and see which places that people react to more and they'll find certain bits funny other bits not so much yeah. <laughs> but I, that's what it's fun about the life on tour I think is you know, you the hardest one, the one to control is like there's a famous scene at the end of, of the movie mm. where this slow hand clap starts and a lot of the audience who have like seen the film know that it's about to happen at this particular moment <laughs> so they kick into gear but what we need is for our actor who's who's playing my dad um, Mark he, he he starts this slow hand clap but it has to be at a certain rhythm certain and gradually time. the rest of the cast start joining in and we hope that the audience then join in but it has to be a certain rhythm because we then start dancing to that <laughs> that hand clap but like last night in Birmingham it was like the first clap started and the whole audience <laughs> and it was like this is too fast we can't dance that fast <laughs> but we couldn't stop them so we're like dancing at 100 miles an hour trying to keep up with the audience Audience. All right, that's a warning to the good people of Wimbledon. Yeah, yeah. Back off with the clapping. Wait, yeah, man. and the line yeah. is like, Abuela comes in and goes, listen to the rhythm, don't be scared. And I'm looking at Maisie going, what rhythm? I can't dance to this. <laughs> uh, well, I'm sure the good people of Wimbledon will be very well behaved. Uh, they'll save their applause till the end. Uh, Strictly Ballroom, uh, the musical, it is on tour till next July. Tickets available at strictlyballroomtour.co.uk. Uh, Maisie, have a lovely night off. Uh, Kevin, enjoy Robbie Williams yeah, thank you so wait. much for coming in to see us enjoy the rest of your Sunday thank, take thank care guess the uh, uh, the um guest guest oh yeah we're hoping to give away that Graham Norton Waitrose gift box containing a brilliant brand of reusable hot drinks cup uh, the champagne truffles florentine shortbread jam and a vinegar it's all in there okay and this is the voice that people are going to be trying to identify just so you know I was probably the last actor in Christendom that they went to. They were shooting the movie already. They had been, they had tried to cast everyone and anyone except me. Okay. Uh, first caller on the line is Tony. Hello, Tony. Hello, Graham. How are you? I'm very well. And yourself? Uh, not too bad. Miserable day, though. I'm looking out the window thinking, ugh. Yes. But, uh, I know what you mean. You uh, where, where is your window? What are you looking out at? Um, I'm looking out... Uh, Colchester, I guess. Um, I've got like a three-storey townhouse, so my sitting room's on the second floor. 
so it's it's got quite a good vista, but it's still miserable. So Com- yeah, commanding views, commanding views of Colchester, uh, ho- home of the oyster. Uh, well done. Have, did you, have you always lived in Colchester, or did you move out there? Um, no, I was a publican, so I I had bars. Um, I started off with a bar in East London back in the eighties, where I misunderstood hedonism for happiness, um, and then I went to country pubs and. Uh, um, and then I sold everything up in 2016, thank God. Um, but uh, yeah. and now I live in Colchester. I bought a house beforehand. I nearly bought a house um, near where you are, in Ireland, in Glengareth. Oh, and, yes, uh, that, that's not far away, yeah. And uh, the uh, guy who was selling it, um, he'd reduced it by €5,000, and he knew I was coming out. And when I came out, the real estate said, he's put it back to the normal price. So <laughs> we, 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 we haggled. But uh, I went to Bantry because he suggested I open a uh, bank account. So I went to the local bank there, Bank of Ireland, and uh, he said, have you any lunch? So I said, no. He said, well, let's go to the pub then. And I just thought, how Irish is that? That's lovely. So, uh, But it all fell through, um, and uh, I bought a place in Mexico now. So, oh, wow. Um, but, uh, yeah, you did, oh, sell up. you did sell up in 2016. Uh, all right, listen, we've, let's get to the competition. <laughs> Let's get to the competition before we forget what we're doing. Uh, Guess the guest. Okay. Uh, Who do you think that voice belongs to, Tony? It's Stanley Tucci, because I've been watching his excellent TV programme on the iPlayer. Oh, are you right? Are you wrong? Let's find out. Oh, it's very tense. Very tense. Very tense, Tony. You are correct, Tony. Yes. In addition to a townhouse in Colchester and a property in Mexico, you now have a Graham Norton goodie box, courtesy of Waitrose. Uh, congratulations. Anyone you'd like to say hello to while you're on the uh, radio? Um, keep it short and sweet, really. Um, everybody that knows me. And, um, oh, and my sister, I better say hello to, Monique. And oh, yeah. um, uh, my niece and nephew, Richard. And, um, oh, I forgot her name, Victoria. Oh, no. oh there you go, phew. And, uh, oh. yeah. and uh, also, I'm looking forward to Mr Springsteen being on your show next week. I've seen him 65 times. Wow. That's, since, 19, you... since, since 1980. Wow, that, that's a super fan. That's a super fan. Well, uh, yeah, the new the new album is out now, so hope you enjoy yes, that, to Tony. Friday. Yep. All right, take care of yourself. Thanks for playing. Yeah, great show as well. Thank you oh, very much. Thank you so much. Congratulations, Tony. Thank you so much for joining me on the Graham Norton Radio Show with Waitrose. And hey, have you clicked that follow button on our socials? If not, you are missing out on all the behind-the-scenes action. Just look up at Virgin Radio UK on Facebook, Twitter or Instagram. Speak soon. The Graham Norton Radio Show with Waitrose. Food to feel good about. Virgin Radio.